1948, the people in the British colony of Newfoundland faced a choice. They could become an independent dominion within the British Empire, or they could vote to join Canada in Confederation. The anti-Confederates are not going to get away with it. But St. John's was an anti-Confederate headquarters. Watch in particular the attractive bait which will be held out to lure our country into the Canadian mousetrap. Listen to the Stories Behind the History podcast for our special series, How Did Newfoundland Join Canada? Available now wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Right before I left Edmonton, I lived off a place, off the main drag called White Ave. It's like the university area. And I lived in this old house in a basement. And there was something always weird about this basement suite apartment. Anyway, I don't know. I just always got a weird feeling. So this one night I was in bed. I actually was so scared of sleeping in the place. I had such a weird feeling that I left like a little like, nightlight on. Because I was, I, it was totally I lived fair. Alone. Totally I lived fair. alone. Totally fair. And in the middle of the night, I rolled over in bed and I saw beside me like what looked to be a like a farmer like crouched down beside my bed he Uh. had like he had like a plaid jacket (sighs) he was crouched down doing something and I remember just rolling over and screaming like just the scream of someone who's terrified screamed and screamed and screamed and then he disappeared and I like got out of bed I turned on all the lights I was completely out of my mind with fear and I basically just kept all the lights on and stayed up all night. Like, I turned yeah, the TV yeah. on and I was like, something really terrible's happened. And the next morning, I went up to the people who lived above me because I thought, oh, I probably freaked them out last night, although they never came down. With to- the screaming. And by the way, I had, I could barely speak because I had just, like, ruined my vocal cords from screaming that much and I said I'm sorry did you hear me screaming last night like I'm sorry if I kept you up and they were like screaming no I said oh you guys weren't home and they were like no we were home it's like <laughs> I don't know what just happened and that was the same place that like weeks later in the middle of the night someone just rang my doorbell over and over again and I didn't want to answer it finally I went up and I just said hello and I heard these two people on the other side. They're like, hi, um, we're from the post office. There was like a post office kind of dispensary across the street. Right. That would be, it was open 24 hours, the post office. And they said, uh, look, um, we just want to let you know, like there was a man uh, outside your your window oh, God. trying to crowbar open the window into the basement. Um We've called the police, just you know, but you're okay. <laughs> and I was like, yep. And then the next day, I uh, left and went to my parents' house and said, I'm going to, I'm just going to live here for a I'm couple com- weeks. I'm coming back. <laughs> yeah. But that place <laughs> that definitely is... had some, something wrong there. Oh, something very wrong. Yeah. This is the secret death of Canada. A deceased history podcast about the ghouls you know and the ghosts you don't. I love October so much. Yeah. Yeah. I I've know been you do. I've been binge watching like every 
ghosty, supernaturally scary thing I can get my hands on, listening to every scary podcast I can get my hands on. October and Halloween, it's my favorite time of year because, like, what's not to love? There's little, little tiny kids in costumes, and they do those little costume parades in the schools I and know. stuff like that. Adorable. And they all hold hands. And then also you go to parties, and you see people making out who totally shouldn't be making out, like a like a mime making out with, like, a, like a nurse. You know what? Who's going as a mime for Halloween anymore? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, people what, do that. What kind of parties? You're going to those weird theater nerd parties where it's like, I went as um, a mime from the 17th century who <laughs> yeah. devised a theater technique I went to, in I, breathing. I'm going as someone who studied Jacques Lecoq. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Boo. Yeah, I am. I actually, I, yeah, ho- you I, are ho- I hosted those parties. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, this Halloween, I thought, you know, we would celebrate and we would look into some of Canada's haunted history. Yeah, I mean, but is Canada even that haunted? You know, when I think of haunted places, I think of like England and England. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. No, Canada's haunted. I've actually heard that the ghost of Sir John E. (laughs) MacDonald is seen outside the Kingston LCBO at five after nine. And he's really angry. And he shakes the door and he yells, oh, come on, it's only five after. Oh my God, that is not true. Also, for for our listeners that are not from Ontario, the LCBO is the liquor store. Right. You didn't oh, know yeah. that. Yeah, I should have translated um, that. But no, I don't think that's true. Although it is on record that John A. McDonald was a lousy drunk. So if you want to hear more about him, you can take a listen to our statues episode from season one. Okay, but Canada does have some reported hauntings that have gone on and uh, you can see why because Canada has like a, a, a warring history, a tumultuous history. That's true. Yeah, we have our fair share of wars and conflicts and genocide. But Halloween isn't just a North American thing. Most people know about Mexico's Day of the Dead, but there are lots of cultures all over the world that celebrate death in the afterlife. In Haiti, voodoo practices, they have Baron Samdi. He's a guardian of the dead who is typically depicted with a top hat and a white skull face. Right. In Buddhist and Taoist cultures, there is an entire month called Ghost Month. And in Nepal, they celebrate the Festival of Cows. It's a Hindu tradition as cows are considered to be holy and they help guide the recently deceased in the afterlife. Right. There's a thought that Halloween, as we celebrate it now, Mm -hmm. actually came out of the Samhain Gaelic Festival. It marked the end of the harvest season and the beginning of the winter season or the darker portion of the year. You would offer a food and drink, you would leave it outside your house, and then the souls of the dead were thought to revisit their homes seeking hospitality. I mean, who wouldn't love to be dead and come back and get a nice crudite, a glass of wine, <laughs> maybe a nice pitcher of uh, Perrier? Why do you want crudite on your altar? Because I know this is about you. Listen, <laughs> because as a dead person, I want to stay limber, keep that afterlife going who knows yeah, i don't want to keep that afterlife su- suffer from heart heart disease <laughs> yeah. anyway but essentially you can like put a brick of cheese on mine <laughs> like a box of wine <laughs> keeping it classy even in the afterlife exactly <laughs> anyway but this festival was essentially a pagan festival and then it was christianized and then that turned into all hallows eve or all saints eve and then you know halloween 
Right. So now Halloween has become all about, you know, eating, finding the house on the block that has the big chocolate bars. Oh. oh. Or the can of Coke. Can, like of, the full can of pop. Yeah. Oh, that's mini amazing. chips. Oh mini gosh. chips. Right. Yeah. So that's what Halloween has become now here in Canada and North America. Mm-hmm. So around this time of year, I see all of these lists come up online that talk about the scariest places in oh Canada those kinds of lists I know and I know because I look at all of them every (laughs) year and I'll do it this year and I'll do it next year it's just me but there's something about the popularity of places that are apparently this haunted that kind of takes the scare off of them for me. Places like the Chateau Frontenac in Quebec City, the Empress Hotel in Victoria, the Banff Springs Hotel in Banff, they all have tales of hauntings. I mean, that makes sense to me because if I were to haunt somewhere in the afterlife, it would be a fancy hotel. That makes I would sense. like my ghost self getting a massage or like a pedicure just land yeah, by the pool. somebody bringing you some oysters exactly <laughs> an offering yeah. of oysters an yeah. offering of, yeah that would be my <laughs> offering <laughs> so today i wanted to look at some places that are a little less well known in canada some of these haunted places okay i'm ready freak me out I'm ready to go i have smelling salts <laughs> i have some wine I have. And by the way, the wine is an offering to the dead because I don't if they come in here, I want to make sure that they have the liquor and the food that we have provided for them. I'm ready. I don't even believe in any of it, but I, I just wanted to be ready. I'm like, why are you holding that rabbit's foot <laughs> and crucifix? I've got and, garlic. Yeah. I've got it all. <laughs> yeah. OK, so the first place on the list is St. Clotilde de Horton Asylum. Asylum, okay. But it wasn't always an asylum. The site was first a monastery operated by missionaries. It opened in 1939 in a small town in Quebec. In 1954, the property was obtained by monks who wanted to take in kids who had nowhere else to go. They took up to 40 novices or orphans at the time. Novice, so how do you mean? Well, I'm glad you asked because I actually had to look it up. So in the religious sense, novices are basically young people in training, people who want to enter the church but are on kind of a probationary period. Huh. The more you know. Yes. And the fact that these were youth in religious training makes what happened next pretty creepy. It is said that on Christmas Day in 1958, three boys were smoking in a closet and they got trapped set fire to the building, and died. Their bodies were never found. Now, I couldn't find any hard facts to confirm the fatalities, but it is reported that the fire was set on this day and the damage was so bad that they needed a major reconstruction on the building. In 1969, the site became Maison saint Clotilde, a centre for children described as socially maladjusted. The province took over full operations of the building in the 70s. At that point, under the province, the building was used to start treating people with quote-unquote mental deficiency. So a center for individuals who were living with intellectual or developmental disabilities. It gives me pause, really, actually, when I think about that, because you just said it was the 70s. And that's not that long ago to be describing people suffering from mental illness as people with, like, mental deficiencies or defects. Like, this language is so close, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, It's really sad. Yeah, And even sadder is what happened next. 
1988, a patient, Gaetan Bouchard, lit his bed on fire with a lighter that he had stolen from a staff member. Gaetan survived, but the fumes and smoke from the fire killed nine other patients. That's tragic. I can only imagine some of the things that went on inside these places because people were so horribly treated and punished. And then it's no wonder, you know, children and patients would just act out and do these kind of horrific things. There are stories of electric shock therapy happening in the building, lobotomies being performed. Yeah, I mean, so what's going on there today, though? Well, in the 2000s, ghost hunters and urban explorers began to frequent the site, some claiming to hear voices laughing or screaming. And some have reported to see the spirit of a young girl in the woods on the grounds of the former asylum. Why are children so scary? Because they carry lots of germs. <laughs> fair. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like with my nieces and nephews, like Aunt Faye loves you, but let's go wash those paws. Please stay away from me. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's fall. <laughs> I don't know what happens at daycare. <laughs> I'm going to be in so much trouble. <laughs> Okay, but I have to say one of the creepiest things about the building for me, about the asylum, is the dining room. On the floor, there is this embossed Latin phrase, which translates to, let the children come to me. Mm -mm. That that should not be on any floor, anywhere. Anywhere. No. 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 In 1948, the people in the British colony of Newfoundland faced a choice— they could become an independent dominion within the British Empire, or they could vote to join Canada in Confederation. The anti-Confederates are not going to get away with it. But St. John's was an anti-Confederate headquarters. Watch in particular the attractive bait which will be held out to lure our country into the Canadian mousetrap. Listen to the Stories Behind the History podcast for our special series, How Did Newfoundland Join Canada? Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, shall we move on to the next place? Yes, that you wouldn't please. Want to sleep? <laughs> yes. Okay. okay, where next? Okay, so next up, we're going to go to a place that's right here in Toronto where we record the podcast, specifically the University of Toronto. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't want to sleep there. No, me neither. Do you know how much that would cost, too? Like tuition, student loans? Oh, I know. No, thank no, you. No, thanks. I want to talk about a scary story of a different kind. Okay, take me to school. So the University of Toronto was founded in 1827 as King's College. And of course, a building that is that old will conjure up some ghost stories. Much of the building is in the Gothic Revival architectural structure with tall towers and windows covered in climbing ivy. It just kind of looks scary. So you can see why it would be fertile grounds for creepy stories. The most famous story from the campus is that of a love affair gone wrong. Of course, it's always a love affair gone wrong, isn't it? Most of the time it is, yes. So this story goes back to 1858 when King's College was under construction. Two stonemasons, Ivan Reznikov and Paul Diabolos. Diabolos, they, like... Uh, like the devil or yep, Satan. Yep, yep. okay. Mm -hmm. You can see why... Maybe he wouldn't be trustworthy. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have trusted that guy. Here's your coworker, Satan. You two have fun. Yeah, he takes extra long lunches. <laughs> so according to a Toronto Star article, the two men were working alongside each other one night when Reznikov was informed that his fiancée, Susie, was hooking up with his coworker, 
Diabolos. And not only that, but Diabolos was carving a gargoyle into the building to look like himself laughing behind Reznikov's back. My god, that seems unnecessarily I know, cruel. right? Yeah, it's not enough to, to take mean. his fiance. Really mean. Yeah. And so Reznikov became determined to catch the two in the act. One night, he saw them sitting on a bench together. He picked up an axe and chased Diabolos into a nearby building. Diabolos slammed a thick oak wooden door behind him as Reznikov attempted to hack his way into the room. The axe mark that was made can still be seen to this day on that door. Diabolos rushed out of the room, stabbed Reznikov, and tossed his body down an unfinished staircase. Diabolos then buried Reznikov's body in a stairwell to hide his crime. On February 14, 1890, there was a fire at the school during an annual student ball. The flames destroyed most of University College, and in the rubble, they found the remains of a skeleton that is said to be Ivan Reznikov. Oh my god, can you imagine that student dance? It's like everything burns down and they find a skeleton in a building. On Valentine's Day. I mean, actually, it would probably be better than any of the school dances I attended. That's probably very true. (laughs) But I can't believe that all went down. Yeah, well, it's actually kind of hard to prove that it did. Okay, so it didn't happen? Well, it may have happened, but finding any hard evidence is a bit slippery. It was the 1850s, and the fire did happen. Okay. And people say a dark-bearded man, possibly Reznikov, still haunts the area on campus. In fact, Sir Alan Aylesworth, former parliamentarian and member of Senate, attended the university in the 1870s, and he said he had a drink. Well, many drinks, actually, like a bottle of scotch worth of drinks with the ghost one evening. Okay, well, I'm not going to believe that guy, obviously. (laughs) Yeah, that's a lot of scotch. (laughs) Even from, you know, splitting it with a ghost. (laughs) Okay, so it might be a bit thin, but I think what's really, really interesting about this story is that UFT has embraced it. They've embraced this mythology so much, even going so far as to name two businesses on campus. Two coffee shops, one named Reznikov and the other called Diabolos. Oh, I wonder if they feud. Like, do they do dueling, like... Barista cap- competitions? Cappuccino competition. Like, you can do, like, the fanciest design on Who top makes of a latte. the most, like, expensive scone with gold flakes and, you know, jalapenos? I kind of doubt it because it's a student coffee right, shop. Right, okay, right. So, no. <laughs> Probably not. It's interesting. Anyway. Very, very interesting. Yeah. But U of T is a really haunted place. There's so many stories. I could have chosen any to tell um, about things that have gone wrong or things that have happened on campus. Like, there are stories about uh, Mr. Christie, the cookie man, whose mansion is now a part of the campus. And he apparently had a mistress that he kept behind a wall in his house. And she became so distraught, she hung herself. And then there's another story about a theater manager at the Hart House who fell asleep uh, in his office and was awoken in the middle of the night by a ghost warning him about an electrical fire. That sounds theatery, I know. And then there's this last story. And this one actually really creep me out it's about a lost purse okay well i'm bored i know okay but stay with me so in 1987 there was a fourth year engineering student at u of t one night she was getting ready to head out she stopped in the restroom down the hall from her dorm room and then went back to the room to get her purse and it was gone it had just disappeared 
The worst part was that she had $2,000 worth of saving bonds. She was actually on her way to the bank to cash them in to help her pay for her tuition. In the purse was also her credit card, a favorite necklace, and a coupon for a free hug. She was only gone five minutes, and when she got back to the room, the purse was gone. She reported it, but it was never found. Until recently. Earlier this year, renovations were being done on a dorm room, and inside the wall, workers uncovered a purse. The fourth-year engineering student's purse. Inside, everything was still there. The bonds, the necklace, even the coupon for the hug. Nothing was taken. So how did it get inside a wall? Oh my god. That is horrifying. Yeah. It really is, because... So she got everything back? She got I mean, everything nothing back. nothing was missing. The U of T uh, website reported the story just last month. Like, just last month. Like, two weeks ago. And it popped up on my computer... And it didn't seem like anything at first, but then the more I thought about it, the more bizarre it seemed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, why are there so many things in the walls mm-hmm. of U of T, from the bones of a mason to a mistress hidden behind a secret wall to a purse? I know. It's very unsettling, actually. The purse story is really unsettling to me. And I mean, I I don't know. Maybe this ghost of Diabolos is still jacking people's things and paper macheing them into walls i mean it's a weird <laughs> like, thing for a ghost to do but but i don't know it's very strange it is so the last place that we're going to go for today is a place that you i think will be very comfortable my couch no it's not yeah your, your couch is haunted <laughs> well, i have something to tell you about your couch <laughs> amazing kids. No, we're going to the theater. Right. Okay, for those who don't know, we are playwrights, and so we're frequently in the theater, either watching or rehearsing. Yeah, and one thing that theaters have in common is that they are usually rumored to be haunted. Almost every theater is said to have a ghost. This is very true, isn't it? Yeah. There's even this tradition in theater of leaving a light placed on the center of the stage at the end of the evening before the building closes up. And you you leave it on. This is called a ghost light. Many theaters across the world have them. It's pretty widely embraced. And while it serves a practical purpose, lighting the stage so tech staff don't fall off the stage or into the orchestra when they're leaving, it's also said to have a superstitious or supernatural purpose. Right. I've also heard that sometimes it's uh, left on so that former actors who'd performed on the stage could perform again. So they would have light That's to perform. sad. Well, Can you imagine? It's like you didn't get the role, so you yeah, come exactly. back to the stage and you're like, da-da-da-da-da-da, I'm a little shoozy. I'm assuming it's the 30s. I, do. I don't know. And you're assuming that's like the role of a lifetime? <laughs> Chorus. I was like, Juliet. Or like, <laughs> Lady Macbeth. Chorus member 17. da 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 I'm a little shoozy gal. <laughs> He's alone. Hmm. <laughs> With one light. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. But there there are no shortage of theaters that are rumored to be haunted. The Elgin Theater in Toronto has two reported ghosts. And the first is a trombone player named Sam who fell into the orchestra. And the second is a mysterious lady seen on a specific staircase that leaves a lavender scent wherever she goes. That's nice. She's like an air freshener That's ghost. That's nice, yeah. So the haunted theaters are a thing across the country and 
the world. Uh, the Orpheum in Vancouver has apparently a haunted men's bathroom. The Princess Theatre in Edmonton has stories of a ghostly female ascending stairs. And uh, the St. John's Arts and Cultural Centre in Newfoundland, there has been seen a ghostly woman holding a small child in the theatre. Which that is, can you imagine spending the rest of your your afterlife with a kid in a theater trying to make sure <laughs> yeah, that like, kid doesn't cry like, trying while to find people, the bathroom like that's your like, whole yeah. existence just yeah, like exactly. don't cry while we're watching yeah, don't you know? disrupt everyone while exactly. they're watching the show that is purgatory for sure and while there are haunted theaters across the country there is another theater in toronto that is rumored to have not one but three ghosts buddies in bad times theater I love Buddies. Me too. Uh, For those who don't know about the company, it's the largest and longest running queer theater in the world. It was founded in 1979. And in 1994, the company moved into its current digs at 12 Alexander Street in the Gay Village. The space before it was a theater was a garage, a hardware store and a car showroom. There are multiple accounts of ghosts in the building. And I wanted to speak to a staff member at Buddies who had a ghostly encounter to hear what they had to say about it. My name is Adrian. My last name is Juan. I'm the technical director for Buddies in Bad Times Theatre, and I started here in 1997, so I know the building pretty well. Do you think there are ghosts in the Buddies Theatre building? Yes, I definitely do. Yeah? And um, we've had at least three paranormal research organizations come through and want to do uh, investigations, as they call it. Uh, the best experience was the first group that came in. They were a group called the Meadowvale Spookies. They brought with them a psychic. She said, you don't seem bothered or... A lot of people, sometimes they really... It makes them nervous talking about this stuff or experiencing this stuff. And I was like, no, no. I, brought, I grew up with my grandma using the Ouija board and <laughs> trying to talk to the, the ghost in her house. And, and she goes, oh, well, was your grandma short with short hair? And I was like, yes. And she, and she was like, because ever since we got here, there's been... A, a spirit saying, tell him, tell him, tell him, tell him. And she goes, normally I don't tell people when there's somebody trying to communicate with them because it's not up to me. But as soon as you said your grandma, I clicked and that's who I think is talking to me. And I was like, oh my God, when my grandma died, I was like, make sure you come haunt me. And I haven't had anything. <laughs> and she said, well, you have a lot of protection around you. And I think your grandma might have done that. And I'm like, well, that's why I'm not the one seeing them other than maybe hearing them in the distance or whatever. And she was like, that's probably exactly it. And I was like, Grandma. Anyway, so the same group came back again, and we did a nighttime where we turned off all the lights. And I found out that the reason they do that is because the spirits are drawn to energy. So when the idea is when you turn out all the lights and everything, then it's your energy that's more likely for them to be drawn to. So it's, it's easier to have contact with them because they're looking for that energy and... So they were taking pictures. They saw lots of orbs. I was like, it is a dusty building, but great. We did some things where they tried to communicate with them. So in the basement, we put a glass on the table and sort of used it like a Ouija board, but we just made it like one side of the table is yes and the other side of the table is no. And we all touched the glass and they were like, slide the glass to the side to answer yes and the side to answer no. And I think that the they were, she said it's a young kind of tricky spirit that's like purposely trying to like tease us a little bit. And so... It would answer some questions, and then other questions it wouldn't, and then it would answer the same questions differently. (laughs) And we're like, all right. When we were still in the basement, they were recording the EVP the whole time. We would play it back, and you could hear us talking, trying to ask the spirits to contact us, and we weren't hearing anything. 
And then we would just start discussing stuff, like just casually. And when we played it back, you could hear as soon as we weren't trying, we heard like a frustrated, like, ugh. <laughs> like, I'm right here, you're not hearing me, like kind of sound. So it was like, as soon as we were relaxed enough, then it would happen. But we couldn't hear it because we weren't listening properly <laughs> at that time. But we definitely had lots of evidence on that thing from like on the recording of that was happening. When those guys came back again, they brought the, this box that sort of floated between radio stations, frequencies, like empty ones. And that's how they tried to communicate. I think they called it a ghost box. Yeah, or, yeah, I've yeah. heard of them. They were. They said to their, oh, we're getting some stuff on the ghost box. And and they're like, "Who? do you know who this is? And it went, Adrian. And I was like, yes. <laughs> I'm like, I know, it's me. Like, <laughs> but I still don't know who you are. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so all of these paranormal investigators who come in, do they see the same spirits? or? Well, they definitely get activity in all the same places. Upstairs in the chamber space, there's definitely a guy that over the years, many, many actors have seen in a long, dark coat with slicked dark hair and a big mustache and kind of like a snidely whiplash kind of <laughs> character. He walks around the perimeter. So the main space has a catwalk that goes around the whole room. And so he sometimes is up on the catwalk and sometimes he's down below. But there's been lots of times after shows where actors are like, well, oh, I saw that somebody left during the show. And we're like, no, nobody left. And they're like, oh, there's some guy walking around in the back. And we're like, nope, that was that guy. <laughs> so the last group that was here Without me telling them anything, the woman that was the sort of leader of that group, who also I think was more psychic than the others, was like, oh, I just saw a guy peering at us from behind the masking. And she goes, he had a big mustache and, and he had all this. And I was like, no, oh, that's the guy <laughs> that wanders around. And she goes, yeah, I get the sense that he's like patrolling. So maybe he's like an old security guy or something. And one time our a past technician was in the space, came up the stairwell and came into the room and walked right into that guy and then he sort of just dissipated and was gone and he was like <laughs> our technician was like whoa <laughs> um i personally have not seen any of the ghosts here but i'm like why why not <laughs> like where are you but i've heard like doors opening and closing when i know i'm the only one in the building and i think if i saw something i'd just be like yes <laughs> like i would <laughs> i really want to and maybe that's why i don't because i yeah, want it too much yeah So I thought maybe to uh, close out our first ever Halloween episode, mm-hmm. we would do something that you might be familiar with. And mm-hmm. I think some listeners might be familiar with. Um, did you ever do Bloody Marys? Not the drink. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we used to do Bloody Mary. Did you? Yeah. So uh, Bloody Mary. Well, let's see if we have the same stories okay. of what yep. it was. So you conjure this woman and you go into the bathroom was yours the yeah, bathroom? You go into the bathroom. You turn, turn off, off the, lights, the lights. Turn on the taps. Turn on the taps. And then you say, Bloody, Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary. And then you wait to see if something happens. <laughs> For our listeners, nothing happens. <laughs> The Scary Life of Canada was conjured in Toronto on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, Wendat, and most recently the Mississaugas of the New Credit. It was murdered by me, Phelan Johnson. And me, Leah Simone Bowen. And, and decomposed, decomposed by Katie Jensen. Jensen. 
Our historical consultant is John Weir. And our digital ghoul is Fabiola Carletti. The senior slayer of CBC Podcasts is Tanya Springer. And the executive poltergeist is Arif Norani. Special thank you to Buddies in Bad Times Theater and Marcel St. Pierre. You can't find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Secret Life of CAD because we are dead. If there's a story you want to hear in an episode or a piece of history you want to tell us about, email us at secretlifeofcanada at cbc.ca. Or look in your mirror at midnight and turn around three times and say our names. If you liked what you heard, or even if you didn't, please review us on iTunes. It really helps other people find us. If they're alive. And if you happen to be in the Toronto area on November 5th, come check out our first ever live show featuring special guests at the Hot Doc Podcast Festival. We'll be at the Ted Rogers Cinema at 9 p.m. Tickets are on sale at hotdocinema.ca. If you like this episode, check out Escaping Nexium. It takes you inside the bizarre self-help group that attracted actors, politicians, and the super wealthy, and it's now the center of an FBI investigation. Escaping Nexium: one woman's journey to take down the secretive personal growth organization from CBC Podcast's new investigative series, Uncover. Join us next time when we look into the most disgusting thing Phelan has ever done. And yes, it's a weird bit of history. I'm so gross. Thanks for exploring Canada's hidden history with us. And remember <laughs> to pass it on. Happy Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.